Good morning, everyone. I want to thank uh, Yvette Kalbum for sponsoring this morning's Amunashir in memory of her beloved father, Herbert Levine, on his first year at site. His neshama should have an aliyah. Thank you for your sponsorship and for all you do on a regular basis. Okay, today we're going to learn, we'll see how far we get, either one or two sections from the Piazetna Rebbe. I've spoken about the Piazetna Rebbe often. I'm a huge uh, fan, chassid, of his. He was an extraordinary, extraordinary individual. He was the Rav of um, in Piazetna, and then the Rav of the Warsaw Ghetto. He had an illustrious career before the war, and really was a visionary of Chinuch, of education, wrote several of his works then, um, had, had several yeshivas under him, and, and was a real Rav and a Rebbe. And then, of course, during the war, um, his son, his only son, was killed, his daughter, his wife, and he himself uh, was in the Warsaw Ghetto, and then he was taken out to a labor camp, and he was shot and he was killed there. Hashem Yikom Damo, a really, really special person. His writings are, are incredible. Um, one of them, one of his writings, which he didn't publish in his lifetime, which is um, the sermons that he gave in the Warsaw Ghetto. It's hard to imagine those circumstances with everything that was happening to get up in front of a group of Jews and try to inspire and motivate and empower and give some sense of hope in a hopeless situation. It's almost imag- unimaginable. Um, his, the scraps, that the notes, at first someone else took notes on his sermons after Shabbos, he edited them, then he himself wrote them, and they were hidden together with the Einig Shabbos archives. Um, Ringelblum, what was his first name? Bless you. What was his first name? It was a monument to him in Warsaw. Um, it was an amazing thing, in the beginning of the Warsaw Ghetto, there were a group of Jews who said, we don't know what's going to be and we don't know if we'll survive, but we need to create, we need to document everything that's happening so the world will one day know. And they saved everything and they recorded everything and they documented everything and they hid it in three locations buried beneath the ghetto. Two of them were discovered. It was the Onik Shabbos archives. They called themselves the Onik Shabbos group. And uh, two of those locations, one of them still hasn't been recovered. But two of them were recovered, and much of what we know about the Warsaw Ghetto come from there. So the Esh Kodesh, the Piazetz, the sermons from that time were hidden among those archives um, and were published posthumously in the early 1950s. More recently, a better edition um, has been published. And more recently even than that, an amazing book came out um, that, I forgot the name of the book, but it's an amazing book that shows that the sermons, what was happening in the ghetto, what was happening in Poland, what was happening under the Nazis in the time that that particular sermon was given. When the Rebbe gave the sermons, he never ever, in the whole Ish Kodesh, Ish Kodesh in Woodmere by Moshe Weinberger Shul is named for the Piazetz and the Rebbe. It's mm-hmm. named for the Sefer. So in all of his Ish Kodesh, he doesn't mention the Nazis and the ghetto and the concentration camps and the gas chambers. He talks Beremiza, he talks with illusions. So this wonderful, wonderful book came out that actually, for each sermon, talks about what was going on and what likely precipitated the background of that sermon. Before the war, he wrote a sefer called Chovas HaTamidim, which is a, a book for students in yeshiva, how to get the most out of yeshiva, how to live a disciplined life. The introduction to Chovas HaTamidim is geared towards parents and educators. It's a masterful work. He was really, really prophetic, really prescient, really before his time, describing to parents and educators the challenge of raising children today. It's as if he was speaking to us in our time, though he was writing in the early 20th century. Um, and then he also wrote another book called Hachsharas HaAvrechem, which is, if Chovas HaTalmidim is for 
Bachram in yeshiva, younger students, Hachsharos HaAvrechem is for the older students. Um, we also have Derech HaMelech, which is a work of his. And in the back of Hachsharos HaAvrechem, he has a small volume called Tzav Vaziruz. Tzav Vaziruz is his spiritual diary. It's not his diary like today I woke up and I got in a fight with a friend and the bus was late for school and I had this for lunch and then we went there. It's not a diary like you think of a diary. It's what you'd call a spiritual diary. Today I felt this towards Hashem. Today I worked on that. Today I had this insight. Today I had that breakthrough. Today I struggled. It's an amazing work. It was actually published as the Hebrew copy. It was translated into English to heal the soul, the spiritual journey of a Hasidic Rebbe, Rabbi Kalanimus Kalman Shapira. It's a wonderful addition, which is a translation, and it's absolutely incredible to go through. It's really, really, really beautiful. Really beautiful. In fact, I'll tell you, and our Shavuos just passed, but I'll tell you that he has an entry in there where he says, and he lets you into his world of spiritual growth, his neshama. It's an amazing access to the world of a, of a real tzaddik, who it's very personal. It's his intimate, personal world. So he says that one day he felt this incredible closeness to Hashem, and he longed to connect to Hashem. So he turned to Hashem and he said, Hashem, what can I do? What can I do to come closer? How can I give you more nachas ruach? How can I give you more joy in me? Should I learn more? I'm already learning as much as I can. Should I daven better? I already daven with as much kavana as I can. If, oh, if only I wish I could convert to take that leap of faith to transform my life to convert. But what can I do? Alas, I have been born a Jew. Rav Asher Weiss, Shalit Lemenchas Asher, writes in his uh, Sefer on Shavuos, that when he read that entry in the Rebbe's journal, he cried, and he cried, and he cried. Can you imagine a longing of a Jew who wishes he could give such nachas to Hashem? And he says, I'm already giving you my all, what more can I give? If only I can convert. And Rav Asher Weiss says, um, Shavuos is a time that we all can convert, because if a man already has a bris, he has the bris. And if we're born Jewish, going to the mikvah doesn't make us Jewish, we're born Jewish. But one of the key components of Judaism, of conversion, is Kabbalah sol mitzvos. The convert, the candidate, has to accept upon themselves the yoke of mitzvos. It can't be wavering, it can't be conditional, it can't be when it's convenient. They have to accept upon themselves that they're going to observe, observe mitzvos unequivocally, unconditionally, passionately, enthusiastically. So that element of conversion, he says, we can all do. It's an amazing, amazing, uh, amazing book. Anyway, so I want to read with you an entry. And I have here on one side the Hebrew and on the other side the English. Osir Gimel. The spiritual diary is made up of, of um, entries, and the entries are all numbered. So this is number 13. We're going to go backwards. We're going to study 13, and then if we have time, we're going to study apart from number 4. So in number 13, he's talking about the following. There's no doubt that you've read in books or you've heard about the evidence for the existence of God. For those who are weak in their belief, for those who struggle. And where do they find, where do they draw evidence that God exists? They draw the evidence from the world. So whether it's the first cause argument that we didn't come into being from nothing, we have parents who have parents who have parents who have parents, and if you go all the way back, first man and woman have to have parents, have to have a father, a father in heaven. There's a first cause if you trace it all the way back. That's the, that's the first cause argument. St. Thomas Aquinas. 
You have uh, the argument of entropy. You have all kinds of evidence for God's existence. So says the PSS Rebbe, when you tap into that evidence, that's for the people who are weak, for the people who struggle to believe. For those who find it hard to believe, they prove there's a God. They bring proof from creation. They say, imagine if I told you this book, there was no author. I had a bottle of ink and a bunch of paper and I knocked over the ink and the, pa- and the ink dried on the paper and lo and behold, is the handout you have in front of you now. You'd look at me and you'd say, you're crazy. The statistical possibility or probability, improbability, is borderline impossible. Nobody knocks over a bottle of ink and you have a novel, a book, a writing. Nobody knocks over paints and you have a beautiful painting. Nobody, a hurricane doesn't come and mix materials so that you have the architecture of a beautiful building. We know that whenever you see disorder come to order, you see ink turn into words, you see paint turn into a portrait, you see materials turn into a building. What do you know whenever you see disorder turn into order? We know intuitively and intellectually that it means somebody put it together. There's a designer. There's a writer. There's an author. There's a builder. There's a sculptor. There's a painter. That's what it means. As rational people, we would never accept in a gazillion years the possibility that these things came into being by chance. So the Pizetzna Rebbe is, is referencing the argument, well, you think the world is any less intricate? You think the world is any less detailed? You look at the human body, the minutia, the details, the equilibrium, the balance. What has to happen for the human body to function? What has to happen for a person to stand upright? Think about the weight distribution and the balance that your feet, the muscles of your ankles are holding up your entire body. Think about the food you put in your mouth and the nutrients that are derived and the hydration that's removed and the waste that's eliminated. Just the intricacies, the detail. So the piece of paper in front of you, you wouldn't accept that a bottle of ink spilled and you got the piece of paper. But you look at your body, you look at the universe. Do you know that if the earth were any closer to the sun, we'd all burst into flames, we couldn't live, we'd all die. If the earth were any further from the sun, we'd all freeze, we'd all die. For human life to exist on earth, it has to be exactly where it is relative to the sun. There are countless examples. And you think that just came into being by chance? That's briaso. The creation of the world itself is existence, is testimony to God's existence. Or if you look at the inherent wisdom and God's incredible power. Look at God's incredible power. Look at the things that were so unlikely to happen and lo and behold they happen. Look at nature and the mightiness of nature, the beauty of nature. But nebuch for the person who needs these proofs. Are there proofs? There are ample proofs. We spoke about last week. Judaism doesn't demand a leap of faith. Judaism doesn't tell us to believe. The Torah, God, Judaism tell us, you can know. Examine the evidence, and the same evidence that supports every other thesis in your life, which is not an absolute proof, but an overwhelming abundance of evidence, that same abundance of evidence is there to support the idea that God exists. But says the Piazetz, the Rebbe, right? And previously as intellectual, rationalists, Students of the Rambam, we have studied and we will study these pieces of evidence. It's important. We live in a scientific age where for everything we want to know, where's the evidence? Where's the data? What's the thesis? Where's the hypothesis? How is it tested? Where are the conclusions? What's the evidence? Says the Piazetz Nerebbe, the opposite. He says, Nebuch on you if you need evidence. Nebuch, Hased, 
How, how almost pathetic. Woe unto you that you need these proofs. Do you not feel? Have you not seen? Is your soul not on its own absolutely sure and confident that it's seen God? You speak to Him in the second person. Ata Hashem. Ata Kadosh. Ata Chonein. Baruch Ata Hashem. Says the Piyazet and the Rebbe. You have an audience with the King of Kings, with the Almighty. Has your soul not experienced God that you need to rely on these outside pieces of evidence? Kind of makes you feel bad about wanting evidence. Right? You need evidence. Well, there's this argument and that argument and this one stands up to the test and that one is... He says, Nebuch, you need evidence. You need evidence your mother's your mother? You need a DNA test to know that your mother's your mother? Or do you say, this woman, she raised me, she took care of me, she's there for me, she loves me unconditionally, she sacrifices, she compromises. I felt her love, I feel her experience. I, I, I am part of her maternal energy. I don't need evidence my mother's my mother. I know she's my mother. Says the Piazetz Nerebbe, do you need evidence that Hashem is Hashem? You need evidence God exists? Have you never felt? Have you never been in the presence? Have you never been overwhelmed with the sense that there's a greater a greater being and a greater purpose and a greater world. Have you not seen the Grand Canyon or the Swiss Alps or Glacier Park in Montana? Have you not felt, have you not studied science and said, wow, for that chemistry, that biology, that physics, there's a Rebona Shalom. Have not your own life had a moment where you gave up hope, where you thought that something was hopeless and in the end, out of nowhere, there was a salvation that turned out? Mm-hmm. Have you not experienced the birth of a child or been at the wedding, your own or of a loved one? Have you not felt Hashem? Do you not stand in front of Him every day and say, in first person, atah, in second person rather, in formal and informal prayer? Because the truth is that your soul does see Him in the present, says the Piyaz Etzner. You, you may need proof, but your soul, your soul has no doubt. Your neshama. So the challenge is to uncover the neshama. The challenge is to not allow the neshama to be misled, to not allow the neshama to be denied. Our neshama, the halog and neshama, the soul, the soul is Hashem. We are a piece, we're a portion of God. So the soul never had doubt, never has hesitation. The soul knows where it comes from. The soul, we know our mother's our mother. The soul knows that Hashem is its father. What happens? The soul gets housed in the body. And the body has all kinds of desires and temptations and interests for which it would be incompatible to believe what the soul believes. If there's a God and I want to eat that and he says don't eat that, it's easier to say there's no God. If there's a God and he wants me not to say that and not to look at that and not to behave like that, but I want to look at that and I want to say that and I want to go there and I want to behave like that, then it's easier to say there's no God, there's no proof. So the body looks for proof, but the soul never had a doubt. And our challenge, our mission, the reason I'm sharing and studying this piece in the Piazetz and the Rebbe with you, that again, by the way, he's not writing this for us. He wrote this. This is his diary. This is what he's writing to himself. What he's writing to himself is, Nebuchadnezzar, the one who needs evidence. Woe unto the person who needs proof because they're being led by the body. They're not being led by the soul. When you're led by the soul, you never have doubt. 
experience. Be mindful, be present. Experience what there is. Experience the truth. Don't, don't be blocked by the body, its temptations, desire. We've shared before Rabbi Hanan Wasserman's insight, where he said, how can a baron bat mitzvah child be obligated in the mitzvah? Anochi Hashem He asks Rabbi Hanan, Kovitz Mamaram, he says, you know, Aristotle, the great philosopher, many other great men and women struggled for proof that God exists. So this kid turns 13, this girl turns 12, and you say to her, so the fact that you say to her, now you got to keep Shabbos, now you got to keep kosher, now you got to keep Sneas, now you got to make brachas, now you have to lulav, now you have to hear the shofar. Okay, that you could say, it's an action. But you're going to tell them that at 12 and 13, they are responsible for something that 60 and 70 and 80 year olds are still struggling with? Aristotle struggled with evidence for God's existence, and the Rambam quotes it. And yet the 12 and 13 year old little pishers, you're going to tell now you're mechuyiv in the mitzvah of Amuna? How could that be? Rabbi Hanan has an amazing insight. Rabbi Hanan says, the mitzvah, our job in Chinuch as parents, as educators for our children, is not to teach them that there's a God. It's to stop them from not believing what they always knew, which is there's a God. From when a little child, a little child, my little shy just said to me last night or this morning, something about Hashem loving him. Mommy loves me and Abba loves me and Hashem loves me. So a little child, a five-year-old knows Hashem loves me. A five-year-old knows, I have a mommy and I have an Abba. It makes sense that I have a Hashem. I, I, they struggle. I can't see him. I don't hear him. How can we never see him? How can we never hear him, Abba? How, where is he? Where is he, Abba? Those are all great questions. They're natural questions. But the five-year-old and the seven-year-old and the nine-year-old and the 11-year-old, they all still know. Before you eat, make a bracha. You can't walk out of Publix and steal the food. You can't put it in your mouth without saying, thank you to Hashem. It's all from Hashem. They don't push you back when they're five and seven and nine. And then they get to 11 or 12. Now, all of a sudden, the world is telling them, how do you know, and there's no evidence, and you can't see him, and it makes no sense, and it's not convenient to believe in Hashem, because I really want to do all these things that Hashem is telling me I can't do or shouldn't do, or are not best for me. So says Rav Hanan, the job of a parent is not to teach that there's a Hashem, but rather it's not to mess it up. The child knows the Hashem. A little baby, a little child, a toddler, from the earliest age knows that there's a God. Our job is not to teach that there's a God. Our job is not to mess it up. Because what happens? They're going to overhear us. They overhear us, kvetch about Shavuos, kvetch about Pesach, and kvetch about having to go to Davin, and kvetch about Halacha, and kvetch about Judaism, and kvetch about the limitations and the restrictions and the burdens. And they're going to hear us kvetch, and they're going to see the way we Davin, because we talk in the middle, and we're not really connected, and we're checking our phone while we're mumbling the words, and we're clearing our plate while we're saying the benching. And they say, this whole thing is a joke. But at five and seven and nine, I knew for sure. Now I don't know why, because the big people around me who supposedly know more than me, they don't really seem to believe it. They don't really seem to believe it. So why should I believe it? So says Rav Hanan, our job is not to teach Amuna. Our job is not to get in the way of the Amuna. Is not to make our children unlearn the Amuna that they were already born with. So that Rav Hanan is very similar to what the Piazetzner is saying here. Our neshama knows that there's a God. Our neshama feels God. Our neshama is nourished by the presence of Hashem. Our neshama is on fire. You hear a good musashmuz, a good shir, a good jirasha. You see it tzaddik. You spend time in the presence of an incredible special tzaddik or tzaddikas. You read the book, the biography of an amazing person, an amazing rebbitzin. Your neshama knows that there's a Hashem. 
What happens? The goof gets in the way. The body, for whom it's a distraction and it's inconvenient. And the challenge is to have the neshama lead the body, not the body lead the neshama. The challenge is to say, I am a neshama. I have a body. Not I am a body and I don't know, I've been told I have a neshama. I am a neshama. That's who I am. That's the real me. That's the most authentic me. That's the best version of me. Is the me that's connected to the Ribbona Shalom. The me that's talking to him, that's connected with him, that's reaching out to him. That's what I spoke about in Shavuos, that's, that's communicating, that's talking, confiding in Hashem, and that's listening to the message of Hashem. And that can happen in the most unnatural way. I recently met with somebody who's gone through a very hard time, very painful loss, and they described they used to be very close with Hashem and talk to him regularly, and now they just don't feel him. They don't feel him, they feel abandoned by him, they don't feel him, they have nothing to do with him, they're really struggling for religion. So I said, why don't you scream at Hashem? So what are you talking about? I said, unload, no one's around, talk to Hashem and unload on him. Scream at him. Protest, object, ask him how he can do this to you. Ask him why it's fair. Tell him how disappointed, how hurt, how angry you are. So the person said to me, I, I, I thought you're not allowed to do that. Shouldn't I feel terribly guilty about how I feel? Don't I, shouldn't I feel terrible how I feel? I can't scream at God. I said, why not? That's how you feel. And, and there's no greater affirmation that you believe in him than to tell him how disappointed you are in him because you're not disappointed in things that you don't think are real. You're not disappointed in figments of your imagination. You don't scream at the computer or the TV screen about the character who didn't show up for you and help you because you know it's make-believe. You don't scream at the book you're reading because the protagonist didn't jump out of the novel and step in and help you because you know you're reading something that's make-believe. So if you don't scream at Hashem, he worries that maybe you think he's make-believe. Now, I understand what I'm saying is a little extreme. I'm not saying you should you know, curse Hashem. You can't be a megadif. You're not cursing God out. We, we, we read about that episode in the Torah. But I mean that respectfully you say to Hashem, like you would maybe to a parent with respect, I was disappointed. I just got beat up and you watched and you didn't intervene and I counted on you and how could you do that? And I'm disappointed. I said to the person, you have permission. Avram did it with stone. He didn't. Yell at Hashem, but he protested. How could you do this? What if there's righteous people? It's not right. I object. I protest. Moshe did it. God, show me your face. I want to see the world as you do. Explain to me how this makes sense. Explain to me why this is fair. Explain to me how this is just. We have precedent. My point is that talking to Hashem is not just you're great, you're amazing, you're great, thank you, thank you, thank you, although that's also important. Talking to Hashem is also... I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. I'm protesting what you're doing or what I'm going through or what someone I love is going through. And that also leaves you closer to Hashem because it means you believe in Him. You're talking to Him. Your neshama derives energy and sustenance by that connection in that moment. And I said to the person, and keep a gratitude journal. At the same time, protest Hashem, but also keep a gratitude journal of three things you're thankful for every day. Three things you're thankful for. Well, how does that make sense if I'm yelling at him? I said, because I could be annoyed at Yechavet and still say, thank you for the amazing meal you made. Yeah, we're having this dis- discussion over here about this issue, but lunch was delicious. Thank you for making lunch. You can be upset at Hashem, but if you still find the things within your life, because every one of us, I woke up and I opened my eyes and they worked. I found that convenient parking spot. I... A grandchild gave me nachas out of nowhere, called me and did what... Who knows? Every one of us has 
three things a day before we go to sleep that we can, we can identify and acknowledge. There's a million apps, gratitude journal apps you can put on your phone that force you to acknowledge with gratitude things every day. So says the Piazetz, the Nebuch. Nebuch on the person who is a body that has a soul that needs evidence and proof of God's existence. Woe unto such a person. And blessed is a person who is a soul who has a body, who feels the presence of the Ribbona Shalom, who in the miracle of life and the bracha and the gratitude for the good things and even feels Hashem through yelling at Him and through protesting Him, but who feels Hashem. And I said to this person who feels so lonely and so abandoned, I said, instead of seeing Hashem as the source of your problem and the, and the target of your blame, why not try to see Hashem as the solution? Because if you feel Hashem in your life, you'll never feel lonely. You're not alone. You could talk to Him. You could turn to Him. You can lean on Him. And that's what the Rebbe says. When your soul cries out, when your soul cries out, Lo ira raki imadi, from the Parak and Tehillim, from uh, Mizmor, what Mizmor? Chav Gimel, David Hashem, Lo ira raki imadi, Hashem, you're my shepherd, I fear no evil, because you're with me. As if you're holding on, you're grabbing to Hashem's throne of glory. And Hashem is going to heal from there. He'll hear your soul. When you yearn and you pour out your soul, Hashem, bring me closer. Help me surrender myself to you. I yearn greatly to come closer. Hashem, I yearn to be close to you. We say, there's a story with the Ger Rebbe. I may have told you this story before. The story with the Ger Rebbe, who Hassan needed desperately help. Parnassah, Nachas, needed children, Mary, whatever you can imagine needed, he needed. And he came to the Rebbe, and he said, Rebbe, I come for a bracha. I need shalom bayis. I need nachas for children. I need children. I need parnasa. And the Rebbe said, here's the skula. Soon it's going to be Rosh Chodesh. It's going to be Yantif. And we're going to say halal. When we get to Ana Hashem, Ana Hashem, say it with kavana. Ana Hashem. Yantif comes. Chassid says halal. And he screams, Ana Hashem, Hoshia na. Ana Hashem, Atzlicha na. Hashem, save me. Hashem, bring me success. And he has the greatest kavanah, the most focused intent, the greatest passion, enthusiasm. And Yantif ends and he goes back to life and nothing changes. He struggles with his parnasa and he struggles with his shalom bias and he struggles with nachas from his children. And he comes back to the Rebbe. He says, Rebbe, I came to you for a bracha. I have all these problems. You told me to say Ana Hashem with kavanah. And I said it with great kavanah. And nothing's changed. Nothing's better. So the Rebbe said, which Ana Hashem did you say? He said, God, save me. God, give me success. The Rebbe said, that wasn't the Ana Hashem I was talking about. The kavana you were to have was, was for Ana Hashem, ki ani avdecha. Ana Hashem, ki ani avdecha. Now, interestingly, the Ana of Ana Hashem Hoshiana is spelled differently than Ana Hashem, ki ani avdecha. Ana of Ana Hashem Hoshiana is with an Aleph. Ana with an Aleph means... Like a bakasha, please. I need something, please. 
please, Hashem, save me. Please, Hashem, give me success in my home, with my children, in life, in business, in health. Please, Hashem, give me success. Ana Hashem Kiani Avdecha is spelled with a with a hey. Ana with a hey means not please, not a request, but Ana with a hey is a statement. Hashem, I want you to know. Ana Hashem. Hashem, I'm making a statement. Ani Avdecha. Ani Avdecha Ben Amasecha. I am your loyal servant. All I want is a relationship with you, my father. I'm here to advance your mission in this world. I want to feel your presence in my life. I want to feel connected, to feel your support, to feel your love, to feel your strength, to give you nachas ruach, to make you happy. That's why I'm here. That's what I want. That's what my soul yearns for. Again, this is the Rebbe's private diary, which is later published and we have, as he describes, Hashem, bring me closer. Help me surrender myself to you. I yearn greatly to come closer. Could you imagine? Could you imagine your mother is in the middle of doing something amazing for you, something incredible for you, something incredibly kind for you. And what do you do? She's nursing you back to health, or she's taking you shopping, or she's bailing you out of a crisis, and you say to her, I love you, that's amazing, and thank you. But where's the birth certificate? I'd like to see the birth certificate. Where's the evidence? Could you just leave me a strand of hair from your brush? I'm going to do a DNA test because I know, you, you know you're present and you sustain me and you support me and you're there for me and you're my confidant and I feel your presence and I love you, but, but let's do a DNA test. How do I know you're really my mother? It's absurd. A person who feels the presence of their mother never says that. If your soul knows with certainty, if your soul has no doubt, if your soul feels Hashem nourishing and nurturing and sustaining and supporting and caring and guiding on our journey through life, then you don't need evidence. Shlomo HaMelech machriz va'omer. Shlomo HaMelech cried out, the Pasuk in Mishlei, Chachmos bachutz taroga. Is that a nun or a gimel? I can't see anymore. Tarona. Chachmos bachutz Tarona. Shlomo says that abstract wisdom is for fools and the empty-hearted. Whoever needs outside proof and outside evidence, such a person is, is empty-hearted. Such a person is so foolish. If he had not a foolish heart, but a wise heart, then he would see, not from his brain, but with his heart. And he wouldn't crave or need for wisdom or proof outside of his heart. We think with our heart, we think with our heads. Sometimes. We think with our brain intellectually, we analyze, we test, we draw conclusions. But we also think with our heart. Love is an emotion of the heart. It's also of the head. Love is the result of knowledge for another time. But love comes from the heart. So, if your heart knows something to be true, then go with it. How many people have made terrible mistakes of dropping a relationship because they over-intellectualized it even though their heart told them? Some people have just gone with the heart when they should have thought a little bit too. It can also get you into trouble and get into mistakes. But when your heart feels and knows a truth, sometimes it's a truth that can't be put into words. We have a name for this. It's called the Munapshuta. There's a sophisticated emuna, 
There's the emuna where you examine evidence and research and, and, and question and analyze and draw conclusions. And that's a form of a sophisticated emuna. But there's also something called emuna pshuta. There's an emuna pshuta which is, how do I know it? Because I feel it in my kishkas. Because I know it to be true. Because my heart tells it to me. And don't feel inferior or deficient from that emuna pshuta. Because in many ways the emuna pshuta is a higher level. Our great-grandparents... Tevya and Fiddler on the Roof talking to Hashem while he's feeding the cows in the barn. That's Amun Apshuta. Tevya's probably illiterate. Tevya can't read Hebrew. Tevya's not reading Aristotle or St. Thomas Aquinas. He's not taking philosophy 101 or 201. He's not, he's not analyzing with depth the evidence for God's existence. But he knows it. He knows it. He's talking. It comes from his heart. That's the higher level we strive for. On that wall, as I pointed out, Yechavit's grandmother's Tehillim, drenched in her tears, the picture of the two of them. That Tehillim, her grandmother did not understand the word of Hebrew. Yechavit gets angry when I say this, but I'm telling you it's true. I knew her, she was an amazing woman, an unbelievable woman, a survivor of Auschwitz, tremendous woman. She was a tzaddikah, her amuna knew no bounds. She couldn't translate, if, if her life depended on translating a capital in that Tehillim, I don't think she would have survived. She couldn't translate one capital. But the people who could tell you, the Ibn Ezra, and the Rabag, and the Malbim, and the Rashi, and the Mitzvah David, don't feel a millionth of what she felt when she read it. Because she wasn't analyzing with her head, it came from her heart. She said that to him. She was having a conversation with her father. She was having a conversation with her spouse. She was confiding in her best friend, and she was saying, let me tell you what's going on in my life. My son, my daughter-in-law, my grandchildren. Let me tell you what's happening, where we're going, where we came, what I need your help in, what I'm grateful for, what I'm upset about. She was having a conversation while she had the tale. So the words were just a platform to have a conversation. She didn't understand them, but it drenched in her tears because the Tehillim were just the excuse to have a conversation. You don't even need the Tehillim. That's the other piece that I wanted to get to because I thought this was way too short. It would never take up half an hour. So, but the other piece, which we'll save now for next week, which is longer, is amazing. It's the P.S. Etzner Rebbe in his diary telling us how to have a conversation with Hashem. You don't have it on that page. It's a separate page. He talks about seclude yourself in a quiet place, get away from distraction, relax the tension in your body. He teaches us how to, his podidus, how to meditate, how to spend time, and how to have a conversation with Hashem, how to feel Him. Now, I want to end by saying that what we've learned today is not simple. We've made it sound simple. It's not simple. To say, shut down the voice of the body and turn the volume up of the voice of the soul Stop looking for evidence. Start listening to your heart, which knows, which never had a doubt. Feel the presence of Hashem. When you see Him as a father, you're not going to need to see your birth certificate. When you know that He's your mother, you're not going to need a DNA test. It's hard. It's hard. But Amun is hard. You know, Ana Hashem ki ani avdecha, it's called, it's called uh, Avodas Hashem. Because it's Avoda. It's work. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't even necessarily come naturally. It's an Avoda. It takes an effort. It takes work. But when we're mindful and when we take the time and when we're willing to put in the work, the payoff of the relationship with Hashem is absolutely incredible. So Mr. Hashem will pick it up next week. Thank you, Yvette, again for sponsoring.